Jeremy Allen, him and his estranged wife, Addison Timlin, have two daughters. Two of them have reached a custody agreement. So long as Jeremy complies with a SoberLink device to ensure that he's sober every time he sees the kids, he can see the kids. Time for another show. We got a lot of good stuff coming up today. We're going to jump right in here. Rafe Palmer, Rahul Iyer, I Just Want This Done podcast talking about got some celebrity news, positive stuff this time. I know we get people with all the celeb divorce news. What do you say, Rahul? It's been quiet out there. It's been quiet. The summer of divorce has come to a little bit of a stymie. The fall of divorce might not be so hot, which is yeah, no, not a bad know, thing. Yeah. In this business, we know that in the divorce business, it the new clients tend to slow down in the fall. It's seasonal. Uh -huh. People that have children and stuff like that, they're busy with school and sports and things like that. And they're, they don't want to get divorced during the holidays or start a case during the holidays. So the new clients tend to slow down a little bit. Cases are busy though, right? Because mm -hmm. what? Holidays, right? Exactly. It's the holidays. You have Thanksgiving and then you have, you know, the winter holidays, Christmas, New Year. And people typically don't want any sort of conflict at that time. If they, yeah, they want to get their case done, right? So a couple of celeb things that are positive that we want to talk about that are kind of fun. One is uh, Chrissy Teigen, married to John Legend, has a beautiful and big new ring following renewed vows with John Legend. So it turns out it's their 10 year anniversary. Congratulations in Italy. That's the way to do it in style. And let's see what they say. They posted on Instagram recently that she was showing off the new ring for the 10 year anniversary. Good job, John Legend. And they've got kids. They they got married at Lake Como 10 years ago. Hip place to be, right? What's his name? Has a place on Lake Como. Clooney or Brad Pitt? Clooney. Yeah. Clooney. He's got his Lake Como pad. If we do everything right with this pod, maybe we'll be on Lake Como. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah. First, we need to start a, a tequila brand and that, that'll launch us to the money we need for Lake Como. So That's a good tequila so too. It's actually very good. Shout out mm -hmm. Casamigos. Not promoting the use of alcohol here. And we're actually going to, this is an alcohol related episode, by the way. Although Rahul and I aren't drinking during this show, we're going to be talking about alcohol and children in divorce. But she was initially opposed to a vow renewal. She comes from the world of real housewives and a vow renewal is the kiss of death. Interesting. My parents at the 25th did a vow renewal. No kiss of death. Married 56 years, 55 years. That's funny though. I always Amazing. think the destination wedding is a kiss of death and they already did the Lake Como, so. So that's a plus. Yeah. So then the next little tidbit is Wolfgang Van Halen and his wife, Andrea Elsup, who I've never heard of, honored Eddie Van Halen at their wedding, who I have heard of. Eddie, the master late guitarist of Van Halen, the eponymous band. And he was amazing. And what they did at their wedding was they recently got married. I didn't know that. And they left an empty chair for Wolfgang's dad, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah. So on our last episode, we talked about how a Maryland judge who presided over a divorce proceeding or hearing was shot by someone who appeared in front of him. That suspect was on the run. And now they said today, October 26th, that he was found dead in the woods. Not sure what happened, how it happened, but remains to be seen. We will link the article in our show notes here. But essentially what it says is that it was he was found dead Thursday in a heavily wooded area, not far from where the shooting unfolded. So outside the judge's house, which ended a week long manhunt that rocked this rural community. Pedro Argade, 49, was angry about losing custody of his children when he shot and killed the judge, the article says. It's an NPR article. Unfortunately, the uh, October 19th attack happened at the judge's house. 
And they said that they searched for this guy, discovered his SUV in a wooded area in Williamsport, about eight miles southwest of where this judge was shot. They just found this guy said some distance away. We don't know if there's any foul play involved. We don't know what the circumstances of this guy's death is. It's still under investigation. We've unfortunately, this has touched us in our cases, too. I, a couple cases come to mind. One was a case that one of my partners handled several years ago where she finished the divorce trial. This is many years ago now. Her client, it was pretty much a standard divorce, nothing real unusual about it, not very acrimonious. Her client was a guy and he was very upset about the divorce, but nothing seemed off. The divorce trial finished. The judgment was entered. The guy disappeared. And a few days later, we got contacted by the opposing party, the former wife, who said that the guy literally drove off a cliff and killed himself like in Oregon, like drove all the way from Illinois across the country and literally drove off a cliff and killed himself. Very sad and canceled all the life insurance so that the family would get nothing when this guy died. So just super evil and dark and obviously a tragedy all the way around. You know, this is a tough, tough time for people. Obviously, they say it's like the second most stressful thing next to a death in the family. And for some people, it is like dying because they've wrapped everything around their relationship. And maybe some other things have happened in their lives that make them upset. And this all combines. Divorce is the intersection of love, sex, children, and money. And those things are near and dear to people's hearts. And when things are upside down, it can destroy people, unfortunately. We hear these stories and luckily they're not that often, but the they do happen. And then the other story I remember, and you probably have one or two, is I represented a gentleman in Cook County one time where we got sole custody of the children for him temporarily. They were young kids because the wife was doing drugs and she wasn't allowed to be around the kids for a period of time, obviously, because he was doing hard drugs, I should say. And she was found dead several weeks later in her parents' home, like in her old bedroom. They found her dead from an overdose of drugs. And it's just... This stuff breaks your heart, especially for the kids. The good news was that the gentleman was a stand-up guy and really took good care of the kids, ended up remarrying, and the kids were okay long-term. But what a sad story. You know, these things unfortunately uh, happen. Awful. Yeah, and all we can do is try to make our part of it a little bit better by avoiding acrimony, trying to defuse and deconflict, you know? Absolutely. And that reminds me of this thing that happened, oh, was it six months ago, eight months ago? Just very recently in, in Cook County, it, it was a situation where the father, they were going through a divorce. The wife had filed an order of protection against this guy to protect herself and the two kids. A friend of mine was handling this case and the wife was his client. And then they go to court and then the guy, for whatever reason, Either the wife said, you know what, I'm not scared of him anymore, whatever the case might be. I guess the order of protection was removed. And then the guy goes to the house with the wife and the kids, kills everybody oh, and geez. himself. It was all over the news. So I'll see if I can find it. And if so, we can kind of update you guys on the next episode. But it's uh, very tragic stuff. And and then this guy, this my friend who was handling the case, it's like completely distraught. I mean, what would, what do you do, right? Second guessing yourself. Should I have gone along with her request to remove this order of protection? Could I have told her no? Like, is this piece of paper going to really stop anything from happening anyway? Like, I mean. it's And that's the thing, too, is one thing we caution people about is these orders of protection are just pieces of paper. 
if, you know, there are court orders and you can have somebody arrested for violating it. But if somebody wants to break the law, if they've got murderous intent, the piece of paper isn't going to stop them. So you have to use common sense connected with that court order and be safe and be smart and understand that you are the first line of defense. Having a secure household, an alarm system, a dog, whatever it is, or being around people that you trust to help you be safe is really important because you don't know what a person is capable of and they may not care there's an order of protection. So you, this is a kind of dark stuff, but it's important for us to mention. So, so much for saying it was happy, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of we want to talk about fun stuff, but sometimes it's important to caution people about the negative stuff so they know what to look out for, you know. So the next thing we're going to talk about was rebuilding your life after gray divorce. And this was um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because we've got some more substantial things to talk about. But we'd like to touch on gray divorce or older people and what affects them in divorce on the show from time to time in this good article. Again, links to all these articles in our show notes, as always. This one's in Psychology Today, not by Dr. Lee, uh, unfortunately, but they talk about how the great divorce trend is on the rise. And we know this is just demographically the case that baby boom generation is enormous in terms of the size of the generation. Divorce rate among the age group of couples over 50 has doubled from 1990 to 2010. Now, I think you can attribute that to the generation is that much larger, number one. Number two, people People are living that much longer and they're healthier longer. I was interviewed by an NPR reporter today, actually, this morning about gray divorce and talking about the pod as well. And she was asking me, you know, what's the trend? And I said, the trend is way up and we handle a lot more divorces with older folks because people are hitting their 60s and they're thinking, I'm going to live another 20 years and I'm going to be healthy another 15, 20 years. And I don't know that I want to be with this person the rest of my life. And their kids are grown, might have grandchildren, and they're thinking maybe there's something more for me out there. Now, we're big proponents of marriage, and we believe a good marriage is better than a good divorce. And we're, we're the divorce lawyers that believe in marriage. But there, you know, as a practical matter, people get to this point and they think maybe I should get divorced. Maybe this isn't right. You've seen that in your work too, right, Rahul? Yeah, absolutely. I was speaking to this nice older lady of maybe a few weeks ago who said the same thing. Hey, you know, I was miserable. I just went through the motions because I felt like I had to. I had to do it for the family. I kept everything together. But everyone's flown the coop now and it's just him and I have lived miserably this long. I don't want to die miserably. So I'd like the last, you know, little bit of my life to please be happy and very sad stuff. You know, we hear this kind of stuff every day. It's hard not to get emotional about it, but that's that's exactly it. And I also think perhaps there's some level of the lifting of any sort of stigma that might have existed for divorces. Certainly the prior generation, the the greatest generation, the, the folks that fought World War II. So the parents of the boomers. There was a stigma against divorce that, you know, much lower percentage of those folks getting divorced. The baby boomers were the first generation where divorce really trended up in the 80s, you know, when they were hitting their 30s and 40s and so on. So, yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. And also, I mean, that thing about healthy aging is really important. You know, when I was a kid, it was very common if somebody hit 80. That was a big deal. Like if somebody made it to 80 years old, if you had an 80 year old great grandparent, that was very unusual. And I had two great grandparents, actually three in their 80s, and I had two live into their 90s, which was very unusual at the time, still is unusual. Social Security used to end at 62 because people would die right then. It was statistically the government thought, well, nobody's ever going to take this money because they're all going to die. Well, right. they, they'll draw two months of it and die. And when I was a kid, my grandparents lived in a retirement community in Florida, Naples, Florida, when Naples was still a, a cow town. They were in one of the very first developments, a place called Lakewood. 
and they were still building it. And they were literally plowing over and building on top of old farmland where they had, believe it or not, dairy cows were real big in that part of Florida, which I, I had no idea. I thought it was all oranges, but there's a big dairy thing down in that part of Florida. <laughs> and there was still like farmland down there, just rough country. But people, you know, my grandfather's neighbor died in his 60s. He had a heart attack and died. But now people live 70s, 80s and up. And people are thinking they, they stick through the retirement and they think it's going to get better. It's going to get better. When we retire, we'll have fun. Then they retire and they have completely divergent interests. And one of them wants to stay and play golf. The other one wants to travel. Or the other one wants to stay home right. with the kids in Illinois. And the, and the other one wants to live in Florida during the winter. They've got some tips in this article about how to deal with it. And it's pretty good. I'll just hit the highlights. Accept your strong emotions. Understand you'll be overwhelmed by emotions. It's entirely normal to experience grief, anger, sadness, and even relief. You know, these are the stages of grief, you know. Consider seeing a counselor, which we always recommend. Maintain boundaries if you have adult children. Maintain boundaries with them, especially when it comes to your personal life and finances. We, we always talk about not bad-mouthing people, right? Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to badmouth people. It's just no good can come of it. It doesn't, it doesn't pay. And I get people on social media all the time saying, well, the world needs to know. They need to know that he's a bad guy. Do they? Is that really going to be good? And does the world really care? Well, yeah. And when they're a step away from it, they don't want to know your dirty laundry. It makes them feel icky. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like if, if someone tells, if, you know, if someone airs all, you're just like, oh, what a mess. That's what you think. Yeah. And then if they've got independent experiences with the two people, they think, well, the guy's always been nice to me and, you know, exactly. know how to reconcile it. So, mm -hmm. so they say a uh, practice self-compassion. So understand it's okay. So take care of yourself. You know, you might have people in your family saying, you know, you weren't a good enough wife or husband, or he wouldn't have left you. You gotta, you gotta set that stuff aside and understand that these things happen for any number of reasons that aren't necessarily your fault. I think it's important for people to understand what their role is or might've been, but don't sit there beating yourself up about it. If that's just making it miserable. Exactly. You know what you can and move on. Prioritize self-care. Take care of yourself. Maybe meditation, proper nutrition, get sleep. You know, understand it's a marathon, not a sprint. So take care of yourself. See, see your friends, do fun stuff, create a new routine. You know, you're not going to build your routine around your, your soon to be ex anymore. So build a new life routine, focus on your health, create a support network. These are all good. Stay socially active, reclaim your hobbies or and interests. In a legal process, consult with an experienced divorce attorney. And for those of you who might not know, it's a good time for us to put in a little advertisement for our law firm because while we do this for our health and entertainment, because we actually do have fun doing this show, right? Oh, this is a blast. We love it. Yeah, we do love it. We've been, this is our 13th episode now, Lucky 13, but we have a law firm in Chicago called STG Divorce Law. It's up here on my, this thing behind me, STG Divorce Law is in Chicago, and we represent smart, successful people all over Chicagoland. And if you're not in Chicagoland, we still would be happy to talk to you. We can coach you if you're out of state. We can't be your divorce attorney, we can provide coaching services. If you are in state Illinois, but you're not in the Chicagoland area, we're happy to talk to you and have a consultation and we can give you referrals to competent, experienced divorce lawyers in the state of Illinois. We have contacts all over the United States and Canada and especially in Illinois. So if we're not a good fit for you, we can recommend somebody who is. Check out our Google reviews. We have awesome reviews online about our team. We have 10 divorce lawyers working, a dedicated team and several awesome paralegals and staff. And we love taking good care of our clients. Our phone number, if you're interested, is 866-535-9355. That's STG Divorce Law, 866-535-9355, stglawfirm.com. 
So that's a word from our sponsor. Moving on, though, I just think people don't, we found out on social media, I found to my chagrin, I've been on TikTok now about three years, and I told my social media person, I'm not going to dance until I get 100,000 followers. So please follow, like, share on TikTok. Get me up to 100,000. I will dance. It will be horrible, but I will do it. But I get comments on there, people asking for a good Chicago divorce lawyer, and they ask me in DMs, direct messages, which is hilarious because my handle is Chicagoland Divorce Lawyer. And I'm talking about divorce in every post, so I'm not <laughs> sure... But something is is getting missed. So, ladies and gentlemen, we handle divorce for smart, successful people out there and have been doing divorce now. The firm's been around 30 years and I've been a lawyer 30 years and a divorce lawyer for over 20. My wife, Julie Gumina, is my partner. We own the firm and we have great partners and attorneys in our firm. So check us out. Thank you. Moving on and talking about the next thing is uh, you were going to talk about Jeremy Allen. Yes. Jeremy Allen is famously known for recently, anyway, FX show, The Bear, that takes place in Chicago about the Chicago beef sandwich, the Italian beef sandwich, I should say. Yeah. And this is, can you tell a little bit about the show for those who don't know? Because I've only heard a little bit about it. Yeah. So I started watching season one a little while ago. It's very entertaining. Essentially, this guy, meaning Jeremy Allen White, is a very, very highly trained chef who was a chef at this, you know, people might have heard about this uh, restaurant Noma and I think it was in either Norway or, or somewhere over there. It was supposed to be okay. the world's best restaurant. And so he was a chef there and then he comes back to Chicago and starts working at his family members who passed away at his Italian beef sandwich shop. Okay. And, and then he comes to find out all the processes, everything is just completely a mess. So the business is not making any money. The sandwich shop is like going out of business. He wants to make it like this Noma, okay. like at least a process. Like he's, you know, it's very strict with his assistants who are helping him and he's trying to transform this culture. And it's just kind of his day-to-day -day interactions with people as it goes along and very entertaining stuff. I haven't watched too much of it. So if what I just said, if the plot changes as episodes, seasons two and three are, I think, underway, and I'm still in the first like, couple of episodes of season one, then, you know, color me surprised. But that's that's what the show is about. Really good stuff. And he's been in a few other shows as well before that. Okay. So what's going on with his situation? So him and his estranged wife, Addison Timlin, we have a People article that we've linked, have two daughters. And they've reached the, this article is about the fact that the two of them have reached a custody agreement. And one of this is something that we see every time and time again, many cases, alcohol issues. So this article says that so long as Jeremy complies with a sober link device to ensure that he's sober every time he sees the kids, he can see the kids. He must test twice with the device on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays when he has custodial time with his daughters. And on Saturdays, when he with his kids, he must test three times and Sundays only once. So there's a few other provisions, but we'll get to that piece by piece. So Soberlink is really this, lack of a better word, a breathalyzer that connects to your cell phone or otherwise you get an actual device, a Soberlink device that you can blow in. It really just depends which option you opt for, I believe. So you either get this like clunky, it used to be like those old Palm Pilots that people used to have. Yeah, so. Sure. It's this device that you, the name of the company is Soberling. Again, not sponsoring. We're just reading, going through the article here. And it universally pretty much, I think, has the market cornered for, for all intents and purposes. I mean, it, you know, it sounds like across the country. So, and we deal with this in Illinois in many of our cases. So right. 
what happens is it's the the person who was ordered to use Soberlink is supposed to blow into this device, and this device registers alcohol from your breath, like a breathalyzer, and it's extremely sensitive. So we often, uh, I have, you might have as well, Rafe, is tell clients, hey, you know, don't be using mouthwash before you do this because it will trigger it. People have had rum candies, you know, those little chocolates with like rum in yeah. it and stuff. That's triggered it. It's sort of like the whole athletes thing where he's like, yeah, I just took a protein shake and it came up that I was, you know, on PEDs. So right. it's like one of those things, very sensitive and court orders are often, it really just depends on a case by case basis. But the reason you blow on it is to basically show that you're not drinking or you haven't had a drink before your visitation or your parenting time. So what, how that functionally works is after you blow, the person gets a report via email that says he blew timely green results 0.0. So then you have court orders that say, hey, as long as you're under a 0.01 or you're a zero or you're under a 0.02 or whatever that standard deviation is that they may allow for, you can have the kids. If you blow during that, sometimes it says your parenting time is automatically suspended. Sometimes it's not, but you can kind of build this out depending on the severity of the case. But really, it's just a checks and balances to make sure, hey, I know this person has an alcohol issue. And again, I don't know the extent of Jeremy's alcohol issue. I'm not commenting on that. I just, this just sort of on our practice is if you have an alcohol issue and you're concerned about consumption of alcohol during your parenting time with the kids in excess, not like having a beer during football on Sundays, but drinking in excess, then this is what you do. So this, isn't there an anklet too? I thought there was like an ankle bracelet, but I don't remember. I'm not sure if that's right. I, you know, the ankle bracelet, I believe is, and and again, I don't know about this. It's not part of Soberlink, but that might be perhaps from a criminal perspective where it tests your sweat for alcohol, perhaps. I don't know. I think, I think that's what it is. But it's not, at least from my understanding anyway. I'm looking right now there. One's called Scram Systems. One's called Backtrack sobriety mm-hmm. monitoring system. So yeah, similar idea. It somehow detects stuff in your skin to detect it. But yeah, so he's using this to get his parenting time, right? What thing that I think is good to discuss would be tying this to Illinois and custody and visitation, sort of letting people know how alcohol plays in and alcohol abuse plays into visitation or what we call allocation of parenting time in Illinois and custody. First, I will preface this, or as Mike Scott said, preface this by saying, I'll explain custody and visitation briefly, Rahul, and then I'd like you to talk real quick and explain how alcohol sort of plays in in real life in these cases and Uh when it becomes a problem and how do you prove it and, you know, how much is too much and that kind of thing. So first, we want to make sure everybody understands the difference between custody and visitation because these things get conflated all the time. People wrap them up in one big ball all the time and it's two separate things. Custody, or what we call allocation of parental responsibility, which is a more accurate term, is decision-making. Who gets to make the decisions for the children? And in most cases, it's joint custody or joint or shared allocation, where we're, we're sharing in the decisions with our ex on healthcare, extracurricular activities, schooling, religion, you know, the decisions about the children's lives, we are sharing in those major decisions. Sole allocation is where one person has all the decision-making. You can have sole custody and have plenty of visitation. In fact, you could have a 50-50 split of parenting time, theoretically, and the other parent might have sole custody or, or you might have sole custody. I use the term custody and visitation because most people are familiar with it and our clients will call us. And those are the terms they use naturally. Allocation is terms that are used in the law that do make better 
better sense and are better defined, but we'll use custody and visitation for our purposes. So it's important to know that what people are really talking about usually is parenting time. They want to spend time with their children and the battles usually revolve around who's spending time with them when and and where, much less so does the person get a right to make decisions. So the battle lines are usually drawn around that. Now, in an alcohol addiction thing, why don't you talk about the issues that come up and now how does that play into the custody and visitation now that we've sort of defined the terms? Yeah, absolutely. So the alcohol issue really exacerbates the problem. And I was having this conversation with a client today, actually, about a situation. So what happens is, is these issues are either systemic issues that have been ongoing for a while and they've just reached this crest or it's just something where it's just like a person can't deal with it anymore of the constant or it's sort of slowly getting worse as the divorce is getting longer it's getting worse so don't you find by the way and you've been doing this long enough to have seen this don't you find that this age group that we serve 35 people typically in their 40s maybe early 50s but 35 to 55 let's say this is the age where the wheels come off so if we're yes. dealing with somebody who has an alcohol issue, it was manageable in their 20s. And as their stresses mount, their life goes on and things get challenging with work and kids and everything else. And the accumulative effect of these, whether it's drugs or alcohol, starts to pile up. And to get the same feeling, they need more. Don't you see it? it's sort of a perfect storm in that the divorce creates a stressor, like you just said, that makes it even worse. But they're already at a point where things are breaking because the alcohol becomes a huge problem. Absolutely. When all these stressors are injected, what might have been sort of harmless pastime or, you know, you also metabolize faster in your 20s. The alcohol might not be in your system. You're all you're running around after COVID. Everybody works from home or a lot of people work from home. And so access to alcohol, I can now drink during the day when I'm having, you know, doing an email. You know, you're, you might not do it at work. So all this sort of compounds. And then when you inject the divorce into it. What happens is now you're extremely stressed. The alcohol made me feel good, made me forget about what I was going through. So you'll start abusing it a little bit more and more. And slowly you will yeah. start becoming dependent on it. And that's what happens. Or they have a, a, you might say, a mild addiction that gets worse. It's one drink a night and then they're drinking more on the weekends. And now it's three drinks at night after work. And it, it starts affecting them and they need more alcohol or more drugs or whatever to feel normal. Normal. It's worse and worse. And the problem is it tends to like snowball at the age where people are thinking about getting divorced as well. So it's kind of this perfect storm, right? Right. And you also have like money, right? People have the resources. So they're like, hey, I can go out and have a couple of drinks. I can go out and buy all this booze. I have cash laying around. I can spend cash and get this, you know, I have a big right. enough so house. So they say they're working late, but they're, they're at the bar or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So it becomes a problem, becomes reason for the divorce. And then the divorce makes it worse in a cyclical way. Mm -hmm. So it can be a big issue in these cases. The next thing then is Rahul, what's the deal with respect to how it plays in with custody and visitation? You know, what is the threshold at which the judge gets concerned? Am I allowed to have a drink when I have the kids? Am I allowed to have two drinks? Can I have a wine with dinner? Am I suddenly going to be crucified for it? Yeah, no, not really. So your legal answer, right? It depends. Case by case basis. But it's really just, does it pass the, the sniff test? Do I think that you're just drinking a lot? Well, you, yeah. And, and then the issue is with respect to the kids, what you do on your own time is the judge isn't concerned about. In, in my experience, it's you better not be drunk when you're with the kids. You better not be drunk driving with the kids or the kids will be taken away. You'll be on the sober link thing. Exactly. So, 
So it's it's a matter of degree. And the court isn't the morality police. They're not going to care if you're drinking or frankly smoking pot, which is legal in Illinois. If you're using THC, I can tell you from personal experience, courts just don't care about somebody who's using marijuana unless you've got some evidence that it's really it's actually impairing or endangering the children. They don't care what the parents are doing on their own time. Now, if you're talking about hard drugs like heroin or something, that's a different story because that wrecks people's lives. And there is no boundary with that kind of stuff. And I've seen, you know, the hard drug things like that one case I talked about a little while ago, that's a different barrel of monkeys. But drinking and THC, courts have to see some effect on the kids. Right. And so the, I think you hit the, the, the perfect segue, right? It's like, how does that affect your ability to parent the children when they're alone with you? You know, you could have also had a drink at home when you were a family because what? Your spouse was taking care of the kids. You could just do whatever you wanted. Well, now it's just you one-on-one. And are you driving the kids to their activities drunk? Are you showing up to school meetings drunk? Are you showing up to activities drunk? Are you, you know, having the kids sit in their room while you're sitting downstairs drinking? Like, what is the quality effect of this? And are you getting angry when you're with the kids? Is that leading to abuse? And frankly, the kids shouldn't see you in a drunk state because they're going to either normalize it and think it's okay to drink, or they're going to say, hey, my daddy, you know, my dad's just crazy, whatever, or my mom or whatever the case might be. So, yeah. And. And also people that have tolerated, let's say there was a relationship where there was alcohol abuse or somebody drinking too much. The other parent may have tolerated it while they were married. And the parent who's drinking says, well, you're okay with this before and now you're not okay with it. Well, sorry. But that may be the case. But the court's looking out for the best interest of the children. And once you go to divorce court, you are signing up to have a third party or multiple third parties sit in judgment of your parenting. And you now allow the state, you're allowing the government to inject itself in your marriage and your relationship with your kids and make decisions affecting the outcome of your life. So people have to understand, yeah, it might have been okay for your wife or husband before, but now they've got the state backing them in terms of keeping an eye out for your kids. If you're abusing alcohol or drugs to a degree that's affecting the children, the court's going to do something about it. Right. Because again, it's all sort of governed by what is in the children's best interest. The court doesn't care that you're drinking. If you don't have any kids, you can get drunk until you, know, until you run out of money. But, or when you don't have the kids, you can do whatever you want. It's just, if you're going to be with the kids, we're looking for the kids' best interests. You know, I think universally people agree, hey, you know what? It's probably good not to be drunk around your kids. And typically with this testing, they usually order it for a period of time. A lot of times you get to a point where you don't need to wear it anymore in the court was willing to modify the order and allow that to stop. But you have to have a track record of either clean drops, which is like going in for urine testing for drugs. And they, they call it a drop when you go in and get tested or sober length showing no signs of anything for a long extended period of time and probably evaluation by a professional to see if you've recovered from the addiction and you've been sober for an extended period of time. Right. And that was that's a great point because sober link by design and by creation is not meant to be permanent. So you cannot say I want so and so to be on sober link forever anytime they ever see the kids no it's designed to be temporary so that you can get your path forward while the person yeah. undergoes treatment whatever they need and and like you said the you know judgment or order will say you need to do sober link for x time and upon successful completion you know which might be that you haven't triggered sober link in two years then like you said in addition to some additional random drops and or testing to confirm that your addiction has been treated, then, you know, maybe they require you to go to AA meetings for X time, whatever the case might be. Once that's done, 
your parenting time resumes unsupervised or without restriction. Yeah. And an important note too, that this just reminded me of is custody orders are always modifiable. So custody and visitation orders are always modifiable. None of them are permanent because the court has to adapt to the best interest of the children and that can change. So nothing is set in stone with these orders. I think, you know, just like any other sort of uh, addiction issue, these are often, you know, very involved. No one size fits all because everyone's addiction is a little different, manifest differently. So definitely just talk to a talk to a lawyer or, hey, you know, we're lawyers. Call us. You know, we'll be happy to chat. No problem. Talk to an experienced divorce attorney in your jurisdiction is what we always say for the best information. And if you're in Chicagoland, we are in your jurisdiction. So uh, always keep us in mind. Next is we've got kind of a fun article changing gears a little bit about eight signs you've jumped from middle class to wealthy in case you weren't sure. This is kind of a fun one. This is an article that I found in Yahoo, which keeps cranking out all kinds of news articles. This is Yahoo Finance. They had this article that, well, again, the link in the notes. Middle class has been steadily shrinking since 1971, but 50% of Americans still fell in the category in 2021. Then they say there are several clear indicators separating the middle class from the truly wealthy. Perhaps the most obvious sign is the amount of income or net worth an individual has gained. There are other lesser known signs as well. Foot note, we see cases where some people have very high incomes, but they haven't saved much. And that can be a challenge in these cases when there aren't a lot of assets to fall back on. And really there's just, then there are people fighting over alimony because spousal support, because it's like the one thing that's out there and the income is very high. So that can be a challenge in some of these cases. So here's some things that tell you when you know you're truly wealthy. So see how many of these boxes you check off. Okay. Number one, you have multiple income streams. If you have more than one income stream, it could be a sign you're approaching upper class have already gotten there. Your source of income can include that earned from your regular job, but should include other types of income. Another one says, you know, don't rely on your day job. Look for a side hustle or put money in investments. Reminds me of rich dad, poor dad. Oh, yeah. Then so you're invested in cash flowing assets like real estate or maybe a a basket of stocks and bonds. Your net worth is above two million dollars. Well, uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> We're all working on it. And they say defining wealth isn't all about how much money you earn, though. That's definitely a vital part. Well, yeah, no kidding. Thanks for the, the hot tip. Uh, then a financial planner they interviewed said wealth can be described as a number or value for some, but others it's defined as financial freedom. So that number can vary based on living needs. And then he gives some explanation. Now, I want to make a brief point here. People tend to freak out because the retirement planners, the wealth planning people run these software models and they do it in our divorce cases a lot where they show the support and they show these projections where the income is going along steadily. Then it goes off this cliff, like when the person is 78 or 81 or whatever, and it's this drastic, they use the Monte Carlo simulation to tell them like how your money's going to do. And then inevitably for almost everybody, even the savvy savers, the people that have saved a bunch, and we're talking about people that have a lot of money. The wealth planner shows this giant cliff and that's because they always assume a steady state of expenses and they take the current expenses and they project it. In fact, they increase it by CPI, consumer price index and inflation, which has gone up a bunch lately. And so it becomes this astronomical number when in fact, most people reduce their expenses a lot of times substantially when they're older just not doing as much. They're not as active, even though more active as we talked about than they used to be. They're not flying all over the world. They're not spending as much money on meals and hobbies and buying cars and all these kinds of things that are pricey typically. And so their expenses drop a lot, their needs drop. And so I know a lot of people that aren't what you would consider wealthy who are quite 
quite happy in retirement and secure because their expenses have gone down. And then they also move to a less expensive area. You know, they go from Illinois, the Chicago area, and they move right across the border to Northwest Indiana and their living expenses drop off a cliff too. And they can do just fine. So the other thing is defining, how do you define happiness? And I'm probably going to write a book about my dad's. That's a good idea. And his was always like, it's about people that make you happy, not stuff. You know, as long as you have a roof over your head and you're able to feed yourself, take care of your medical care, you're good. Mm -hmm. Next thing is you build something lucrative. Well, you know, that's kind of like, thanks for the genius tip. That's number four. You have a team to help you. Okay. Again, nice. Great. Your mindset has shifted. So they say wealthy people have a wealthy mindset. The shift in priorities around your money will lead to more opportunity and wealth creation. Now that's true. Now, for example, I know people that go from being spenders, they have a consumer mindset and they go to being want to invest. They want to spend their money on cash flowing assets. So they buy a house that they Airbnb or they fix and flip real estate and they're buying things that gain in value, that assets that appreciate. So that's interesting. And they, and they surround themselves with friends that do the same thing. So they get in a series of good financial habits like they're talking about. All their friends are talking about buying real estate. All their friends are talking about investing. They're not talking about just blowing money on a fancy car. Yeah. So what, what were you going to say something about that? When you see success all around you, you guys uh, sort of the sum is greater than the parts or whatever the phrase is, right? So when you are in a group where they all motivate each other, they're all very success driven. And you, like you said, shifting from a consumer mindset to a wealth generation mindset, I mean, I think that's extremely important because you'll each prop each other up and you'll think of ideas. You will and you'll each other's success will motivate you to be just as successful, if not more so. So, and I mean, I think if you're in that group, it'll just, you're like a magnet. You'll start attracting that. Conversely, if you're in a group where people are really not motivated to do anything, I mean, you can't be the only successful guy in that group. You're, you're going to kind of fall by the wayside there. The saying is you're the average of your five closest friends. So be careful what friends you pick in terms of like your mindset, because they influence you heavily. So they're like, you might need to upgrade your friend group if if you find them sort of dragging you down. And the, the last point here is you're able to take more time off, you know, and you've got control over your schedule is a sign that you're truly wealthy. And I found over time that when we're younger, we have time and no money. And then later we have money and no time. And you want to get to a point where you're, you're basically trading money for time and you're able to sort of buy the time back. And by delegating work to other people, by being careful about your time and sort of stingy with how you spend it. And I think, it, you know, as you get older, your, your perception of time passing accelerates too, and you're much more aware of it. And I think some of that is why you see divorces with people that have been married 10, 15, 20 years, because they're very aware that time's passing. They know time is precious and they know it's not just about the job and, and that they're past building their initial career arc. They've kind of made it at least an initial comfortable spot, relatively comfortable spot. And they're, they're solid in what they do. They've done that 10,000 hours. You know, they're, they're an expert in their thing. Like, I'm good at this. And now the job isn't necessarily all absorbing. And they look back at their life and say, well, is this all there is? Is there more for me out there? And and so I think it's significant that once the dust, the smoke clears and people have knocked themselves out on climbing their career ladder, whatever it may be, that's about 10 years in, 15 years in, sometimes 20 years in. And they say, the career thing isn't occupying all of my thoughts all the time necessarily. And I have time to look back at my relationship and see, is this right for me? And I think people struggle with that a lot of times in that period of life when they've been married 10. We talked about the seven year thing, but it's this 
it's that point in time. There's like three breakpoints. It's that five to seven year breakpoint, the starter marriage kind of thing. Then there's the 10 to 20 year breakpoint, the people that have kids. There may be one in high school, one in college or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've reached that career point, that point in their lives when they're able to pay their bills. They're not struggling. They've got some free time and they're trying to decide what the next thing is. It's a classic midlife crisis. And then there's the great divorce, the people that are 60 plus where now the kids are fully launched. They may have grandchildren. They're maybe retiring and they're thinking, is this the person I want to spend this next phase of my life with? The wealth values are interesting. And I think it's good to touch on from time to time. And we do like to talk about business subjects here and, and finance occasionally too, because it ties all into this. So, And I think that's like the superficial sort of topic that actually, if you examine it, gets you into the deeper notion that you just discussed. So I think that's absolutely very valuable well, yeah. stuff. It's the true, what's true wealth, right? It's, it's that there's that sign in Jimmy John's that talks about the fishermen in Mexico. And I won't go through the whole story, but it's easy to Google. The story is, the short thing is a businessman comes to vacation with his family in Mexico and there's a fisherman he sees on the beach with his family. And the fisherman goes out in the morning, gets the catch, brings it in by late morning every day, and then spends the rest of the day on the beach with his kids. And the guy eats some of the fish. He has like a fish fry on the beach. And the, the guy from the business is, and from America is all, can't believe how good the fish is, basically says to the fisherman, you could build this into a huge business, be tremendously successful. Why don't you get more fishermen, blah, 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 and get this thing bigger. And then the fisherman basically says, and then what? And the guy says, well, then you can sell it and retire. Fisherman says, what? And live on a beach with my family every day. <laughs> it's like, I'm there now. Already retired. Yeah. Yeah. So what is wealth? It might not be about the money. If you can pay your bills and you come and go as you please, well, isn't that enough? Right. One of my mentors was my former partner, Mike Angelina's dad, Don Angelina, great guy. He said one time, one time I was, I said, when I was like 33 years old, I was grumpy one day about working and I came out of my office and Don was there. He used to do our bookkeeping and he used to own a successful financial guy, a wealth guy, sold bonds, owned a part of a bond trading company. And he was retired. And I said, I said, ah, man, I'm planning my retirement. I can't wait to get out of this rat race. You know, at the time I owned a different law firm. He's a very philosophical guy. And he said, do you enjoy what you do? And I said, yeah. And he said, can you come and go as you please? I said, yeah. And he said, my friend, you are retired. And I was taken aback. the Mexican fisherman. Yeah. Yeah, it was exactly that. And I couldn't, it was, I thought about that all the way home. And obviously I'm still thinking about it now, 20 plus years later. And I love what I do. And yes, I can come and go as I please. But I think about that a lot. Hey, so, you know, we talk about divorce and relationships and all that on the pod, and we are divorce lawyers in the Chicago area at SDG Divorce Law. Well, for 20 years, I wanted to find a resource for our clients to read or listen to when they asked me all these typical questions I would hear that weren't about the mechanics of divorce. They weren't about alimony. They weren't about child support. They weren't about custody. They weren't about visitation. They were about strategy. They were about mindset. They were about how do I talk to my spouse? They were about how do I hire a lawyer? When do I know to fire a lawyer who's no good? What is a cost benefit analysis in a divorce? What is the meta case? How does all this stuff work, Rafe? And I would tell them over and over and over again. And I don't mind telling people I enjoy talking about this stuff. I have done this for 20 years and I love it. But I thought, man, I wish there was a resource I could point people to and I could buy a stack of these things and give them to clients and they could read the stuff or the appropriate chapter. And then we could have a good conversation about what action to take after they've read all the backstory and get in my head. It's the idea of bringing you up to speed on all the things that Rahul knows that I know that we've learned from doing this in the trenches for that long. 
We spill the tea in this book. I talk about stuff divorce lawyers don't talk about. It's the secret sauce. This stuff is not in other divorce books. I know because we researched it. I didn't want to waste a year and 50 grand of my money. Yes, that's right. 50 grand of my money doing everything that was needed and my time, by the way, to prepare this book. You can have this book. I just want this done. How smart, successful people get divorced without losing their kids' money and minds. 300 pages, eight hours audiobook. I did the recording myself. You can have all this. It's like 20 bucks for hardcover and softcover. Kindle is 10 bucks and Audible is, I think, 10 bucks too. But if you have the Audible subscription, it just comes with your Audible subscription. You can use points to listen to it. And a lot of people love the audiobook. I've gotten a lot of great comments on the audio. They like that I did the reading, not some actors. So it has my emphasis on the stuff that I talk about. And there's some stuff in the audiobook where I go a little bit off script and I talk about some things that are a little bit different, not hugely different. You don't need to get it if you have the paperback or the hardcover, but it's a little different and I read it and I go a little bit off script here and there where it makes sense. So, and there are good things, there are good reasons to have the Kindle or hard copy because there are pictures and exhibits in here like a copy of a real letter that I sent in a divorce case that talks up some stuff about strategy that are in here that aren't available in the audio version. So check it out. So if you want to get a copy of the book, you'll see a link to the Amazon page in the show notes. And also the website for the book itself is separate from our law firm website. It's I just want this done.com. And the link to that is in the show notes. Also, please review the book. If you read it or listened to it, reviews help other people find the book and they find that information very valuable. We have awesome five-star reviews on the book, almost 70 reviews and almost all of them five stars. So please do give us a review and also let us know what you think about the book in the comments on this episode or direct message me on social media. By the way, links to all of our social media are going to be in the show notes and on the podcast website. I just want this done pod.com. I'm Rafe Palmer and that's Rahul Iyer. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks.